Hi, welcome to MedTech for Beginners, the place to come if you want to know more about how to bring new health and care innovations into the UK market. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's edition of MedTech for Beginners and today I am joined by Gail Jackson. Uh, she is CEO of Solving Kids Cancer and after all these weeks of talking to you all about making sure your innovation is appropriate, making sure that there is a need in the market, thinking about approaching that market in the right way and what you need to do, for this edition as a one-off what I'm going to do is bring to you a challenge, a problem that Solving Kids Cancer is trying to address. And it's something that I believe very strongly needs as much support as possible. So if I hand over to Gail and I'll let her introduce herself and what, what Solving Kids Cancer is all about. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much. So Solving Kids Cancer UK is a UK charity. So we um, cover all of UK and Ireland, but we also work internationally. We're a leading patient charity in the pediatric cancer research space. We have a particular focus on an expertise in the childhood cancer neuroblastoma, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Essentially, we're fighting for a future where no child dies from neuroblastoma or suffers due to the treatment that they receive. So we deliver that work under our three key pillars. So we fund and facilitate clinical research into the disease, usually in the form of clinical trials. We work collaboratively, focusing on areas of unmet need, particularly with the best outcomes for children in mind. We also support families. Um, we provide information, practical, financial, emotional support to families of children diagnosed with neuroblastoma right across the UK and in Ireland. And then we amplify the patient voice really through our awareness work. And that's about advancing research, championing the needs of individual children, but also the kind of wider needs of this patient group and childhood cancer more broadly. That's fantastic. Thank you. So just to explain to the listeners, I have in, in the past worked in brain tumours, but neuroblastoma is a really significant challenge for, for medics, children, and for their families. So could you just explain a little bit more about neuroblastoma, please? Yeah, so neuroblastoma is the second most common solid tumor in children after brain tumors, and it makes up about 6% of the total number of childhood cancer diagnoses. It's a rare and complex form of cancer. It affects around 100 children a year in the UK, most commonly before the age of five. It develops from a type of nerve cell left behind in uh, development in the womb. So usually tumors can occur anywhere in the body, but most commonly start in the abdomen or the nerve tissues that run along the spine. So outcomes, sadly, for high-risk neuroblastoma are poor, with only about 66% of patients surviving beyond five years after diagnosis. That's compared to around 88% of children's survival more broadly across all childhood cancers. So it has one of the lowest survivability rates, and it also has a very high risk of relapse. And if a child relapses from this disease, then survival drops to less than 10%. So you can see there's a real unmet need in this disease space in terms of treatment. Treatments that are used for neuroblastoma are very much 
the older treatments, and they tend to be treatments that are used for adult cancer. So they're highly toxic, very aggressive. If you're thinking about children being diagnosed under the age of five, being treated with adult type um, chemotherapy drugs, you can imagine that when and if children do survive, they're left often with long-term effects from the treatment. So we're talking about the sort of chemotherapy which has a high risk of actually killing you as well. Absolutely. There's a particular component of the standard frontline um, treatment here in the UK, which is called high-dose chemotherapy, um, essentially stem cell transplant. And this type of treatment has serious toxic um, effects on children and also threatens threatens life um, of children beyond even the diagnosis of the disease. The treatment can then often lead to death. So I know why it is hard to get treatment regimes established for children but the listeners probably don't so could you explain a little bit more about why children are treated with adult drugs and potentially tailored but still adult drug regimes uh, when they're diagnosed with a neuroblastoma yeah I think, I mean, the issues are kind of multi-layered and very complex, but to put it simply, drug development from the kind of scientific discovery stage right the way through to clinical trial implementation is an expensive and costly business. And when you're talking about low patient numbers in the scheme of wider diseases, you're talking about kind of um, an orphan uh, drug designation here. So you're talking about children. So for example, in the UK, 100 children diagnosed a year. Uh, For pharmaceutical companies looking to make an investment in a new molecule, for example, you're looking at in excess of £20 million per per molecule. And the difficulty there is incentivizing those pharmaceutical companies to make that investment when they know there's a relatively low rate of return in relation to the small population size. So research with clinical research in particular tends to be delivered by academic sponsored studies or charity funded studies. So that's something that we obviously do because we're obviously very, very keen to progress drug development in this area, but we have very little and limited resources. We work carefully and collaboratively in partnership with other patient organizations to pool those resources to fund a clinical trial, but we're only making small dents in the bigger landscape of the challenges that we face and more investments needed, including really from the UK government. It's very difficult to get the level of data that we need to understand what investment they're making. Um, But there's been as little as something like £80,000 invested in neuroblastoma research in 2022-23. When you think, when I've just talked about the £15 million mark that's required to take a drug from concept to to clinical trial, that's just a drop in the ocean and we're never going to make the progress we need with that level of investment. So there's an unequivocal need for disruption, for innovation, for investment in childhood cancer research. And we just are nowhere near where we need to be. And we're not just talking about developing new molecules either. We're we're talking about establishing gold standards, testing drug regimes, uh, looking at using drug combinations, which chemotherapy is all about, getting the right combination of drugs. And if there isn't the money behind it to do that, then anybody working in this field is having to 
work on their experience and best guess. They don't have the trials and the data because everything that we talk about in the NHS, we're talking about evidence-based medicine, but there's no funding behind neuroblastoma to create the evidence. So in any other field, you'd expect it, that they don't have it. No. And and just to be clear, there are world-leading academic experts working in this space, all highly motivated, all working in, in creative ways to, to bring about an improvement and a change in this focus in research. And they are promising new therapies, especially in the field of personalized medicine. So thinking about things like CAR T cell therapies, but these therapies are hugely costly, incredibly resource intensive. And because of the small population size, we're talking about the challenges in mobilizing clinical trials in sites across each country. So it's often the case that where there is a trial, the trial site might not be open, say, for example, in the UK, it may be accessible in somewhere like Italy, for example. And a family then is faced with a challenge if they want to access that treatment or trial for their child. Say it's a last case resort. They've exhausted all standard frontline care in the UK. They're then faced with the heartbreaking decision of either not being able to access it or trying to raise the funds needed because the UK or the NHS won't fund that child or that family to access that trial in this example, say in Italy. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds that a family's then left to fundraise on top of managing the day-to-day treatment that their child's experienced in hospital. So the the compounding factors and the, the stress that that puts on an individual family are just really difficult to quantify. I can imagine, I can imagine. Sorry, I, I have personal experience with uh, ch- children uh, that I've known with uh, with tumours, um, not all uh, with a with a good outcome. So, the reason that we're doing this podcast today is to speak to those that are out there who are innovators in this field. Sorry, <laughs> I don't, but it is it is something that I I do feel very strongly about. Um, it's and so it shouldn't be happening in this day and age. We shouldn't be in a situation where um, childhood cancer is the biggest killer of children still in the north in North America and Europe. And we shouldn't be in this position. Sadly, when it's down to money and funding, that and money and funding always goes with on the basis of statistics. Mm-hmm. So if you can spend ten million pounds in breast cancer or prostate cancer, you're going to impact far more people than you're going to impact on childhood cancers but when we're when we're talking we're talking about children people who could um have had amazing lives and contributed to society and even gone on to develop new drugs themselves who knows but um these these lives are cut short and again in the world that we live in where money and litigation and all of these other issues come into play the most the most difficult thing <laughs> i find is the the price that is put on a child's life is very low compared to an adult's you know a general rule of thumb is if your child is killed by someone else's negligence you probably only get 5000 pounds 
So the life of a child is worth so much less than the life of an adult, which to me is um, appalling and shocking because adults have already had a fair bit of life. <laughs> uh, but there you go. So, And, I, and um, I think there's various kind of misunderstandings within the general public about cancer research funding. And, the, you know, the vast majority of cancer research funding goes into adult cancers. But childhood cancer is a very different type of disease and it needs treating very differently. And it's not... That, you know, there often aren't those lifestyle factors that are impacting on the, the origins of the disease. You know, they start very differently and they require very different types of treatment um, than adult cancers. And I think there's a general lack of understanding about that in the public domain, but also amongst government and policymakers, for example. So despite, as you've just said, the, you know, the most vulnerable members of our society being affected by pediatric cancer, it's often not prioritized by policymakers. So, for example, there was no specific focus on pediatric cancer in either the NHS long-term plan or the consultation on the 10-year cancer strategy, which has now then been scrapped and replaced by the major conditions strategy. And pediatric cancer is even you know, a smaller, perhaps a small sentence within that document now. So all the time we're being deprioritized rather than brought to the top of the priority list as we believe we should be. Yeah, and it, something else I think the general public don't understand about cancers is the aggression of a cancer, its tumor cell doubling time is is faster when you're younger. So not only are clinicians battling with a cancer in a child who is more fragile uh, in a lot of instances than an adult, finds it harder to understand what's happening to them, can be diagnosed at very, very young ages. They're also battling against the clock because of the speed of progression of these diseases. And all that, all that time, as far as the statistics go, well, if they, if they die quicker, then they die cheaper. And I know this is an awful thing to say, but unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. Yes. And and I think if we were able to somehow mobilize intention and commitment from not only policymakers and, and government, but real innovators um, and disruptors in health tech who are interested in thinking about this challenge differently, uh, working alongside patient organizations like us, the patient experts, to think and also the existing clinicians and researchers in this space including in the UK who are world leading you know a real kind of think tank approach to how can we shake this out differently so that we're able to speed up progress and there are new treatment possibilities out there it's just about the it's the time it's the funding it's the complexity of bringing them into clinical trials that's the biggest challenge so it, you know, in the UK, we're additionally hampered by the by the issues that the NHS are facing right now in terms of staffing and resources. So even when we finally, as a charity, pool the funds together that we need to get a clinical trial open in the UK. So, for example, we're funding the Siopin High Risk 2 neuroblastoma trial right now. Um, which means that children in the UK for the first time would have access to the same treatment in Europe. Um, we funded that or we made that funding decision back in 2019. Here we are in 2023 and only half the sites in the UK are actually open. 
And that's because of all of the issues with NHS infrastructure, resource, R&D challenges, bureaucracy, for example. It's not because the will isn't there, but it's because the systems aren't strong enough really to support the infrastructure that's required to mobilise research. And then as a result, UK is falling behind. You know, we're meant to be the kind of leading innovators in research and development. And really, I would say that we're falling further and further behind. So to anybody listening to this and looking for a challenge that they want to innovate in or looking at new approaches or working within oncology, research, development, if you've got any ideas of how we can, as a country, have a stronger approach to uh, childhood cancers and neuroblastoma in particular, if there is some way of overcoming the obstacles which seem to be additional for children, not less but more, how do we go about that and how do you think your knowledge and your skills could contribute to improving outcomes for children uh, diagnosed with the most aggressive cancers in the UK? So have you got any more to add to that, Gail? Certainly. And also, if you're interested, um, any of your listeners are interested, we are in the process. We've just launched an initiative called Unlocking Hope. It's a new strategy where we are set um, to build and launch a multi-stakeholder initiative that brings together thought leaders, clinicians, researchers, policymakers, politicians, patient organizations together around a table to think strategically around this very topic, innovation and disruption in healthcare. What can we do differently? How can we speed up treatments that these children so desperately need and deserve? So if you're interested in in finding out more information about that, I would be really happy to hear from you. So how do people get in touch with Solving Kids Cancer? So you can take a look at our website, which is solvingcancer.org.uk. And there you'll find all of the information about everything I've spoken about. Fabulous. This is the end of uh, today's session. Thank you for joining me today, Gail. It was it was a really interesting and I hope for productive in some way. If anybody, if one person listens to this and thinks, even if it's just a little thing, oh, this could be done differently to improve things, it would make such a difference. So that would be great. So that's Solving Kids Cancer. They're very easy to find on a Google. And if you need to contact me at all, you can find me at pimsconsultancy.co.uk. That's Papa Yankee Mike Sierra Consultancy.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it both interesting and useful. Please feel free to message us if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask or any requests for future interviewees or any particular aspects of MedTech that you'd like to know more about. We'd be happy to include them in future episodes. Our email address is info at pimsconsultancy.co.uk. That's info at Papa Yankee Mike Sierra consultancy.co.uk or you can find out more about this podcast by visiting pimsconsultancy.co.uk forward slash medtech podcast until the next time bye for now